theatricality and deception. Powerful agents to the uninitiated. But we are initiated, aren't we, Bruce? Members of the League of Shadows. And you betrayed us. Yes, you were excommunicated by a gang of psychopaths. I am the League of Shadows. I am here to fulfill Razagul's destiny. Like a younger man, there's nothing held back. Admirable, but mistaken. Oh, you think darkness is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me. I will show you where I have made my home whilst preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. Your precious armory, gratefully accepted. We will need it. Ah, yes! I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit? Oh, your buddy! Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And uh, welcome me back, now becoming a recurring guest, and that is Will Short. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, we're going to talk about an interesting movie today, and uh, I, I'm excited about this one. Same here, yeah. Um, but I, I, was, you know, I was thinking about it last night. This is now your fourth appearance on the show five yeah. if we count your appearance on the on the on the patreon show as well and you're you know it's only been like uh, a few months you've been coming on and already you're like one of the most frequent guests <laughs> i had i didn't have as much going on so it's just like you you gave me an opening and i took it and uh, <laughs> and off we went man well there's just there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about i love talking i've only my, I've always liked movies, but growing up, I loved them a lot and then went through a long time where I didn't really pay much attention. And so getting back into whether it's current movies or older movies and appreciating them in a different way, uh, that's a new thing for me. And mm -hmm. then combine that with superheroes, which is always in comics, which has always been a thing. And then my friends 
doing my friend who I get to catch up with now after yeah, years yeah. of being out of each other's lives. It was just uh, it was kismet. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I'm loving having you on. And of course, you're always you. welcome to come on as, as often as you want. So um, so today, uh, like you said, we're talking about a, an interesting movie, um, probably one that was, I think, fair to say for that time period, next to Avengers, this was probably the most anticipated movie of that time period. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yes. And Unlike Avengers, for me at least, it did not live up to that expectation. <laughs> no, uh, it didn't. Um, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, I actually watched it a couple weeks ago, and then I watched uh, most of it again today. Mm-hmm. And before that, I had watched it, I don't know, a year ago, two ago, not out of just love of the movie, but going back and watching the Nolan trilogy. Um, and I've seen it a few times since I shot in the theater, and, and it it has rewards to it. It's mm-hmm. not like it's a, a dumper. It's just right. that it's it's following one of the best superhero movies and a great crime movie mm-hmm. unto that, just a great film, The Dark Knight. So it's it has that to go up against. You got to wonder, I mean, obviously it is what it is. We'll get into it. But this movie is what it is largely because The Dark Knight is what it is. Yeah. And so you can't really have this without that and Heath Ledger's death in between. But you got to wonder, like, if you had this level of movie made without The Dark Knight, would we judge it quite as harshly? I don't know. That's a good point. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, at the same token, I think a lot of people, I think there are two different camps. I think there are people who probably judge it too harshly because of the Dark Knight. But I think also there are people who give it a lot of leeway because yeah. of the Dark Knight. Uh, so it's this really odd, it has this really odd place, which is kind of a good way to describe the movie too, because I don't know when, I'm not sure what you felt like when you first saw it, but when I first saw it, um, my girlfriend at the time, she had asked me, she's like, what do you think? And I'm just like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's one very honest answer Two, I think the, the a common, if we were all being honest at the time when we saw it, we would probably have that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because it is kind of, a, I mean, there's a lot that happens in the movie. It, it, I wouldn't say that it earns its two and a half hour runtime, but for the amount of things that happen in it, yeah, it should be pretty mm-hmm. long. So there's a lot to just take in. Um, the tone of it varies k- kind of wildly um, and is sometimes trying to be in to- tune with what's come before. And mm-hmm. other times it is really strangely like, you know, it's it's very heightened in a way that showed up occasionally in the first two Nolan movies, but not so much. And of course, you've got and you've got Bane. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just it's a whole track of conversation right yeah. there and the choices that uh, Tom Hardy and and I guess Christopher Nolan made as well. Um but yeah, it you know I when I went to go see it, a friend of mine had already seen it and he said, "Oh, you haven't seen this yet. You got to come see it. I want to see it with you because he knows I'm a comic guy." Mm-hmm. And he warned me ahead of time. Like I didn't follow, you know, I, I guess the internet wasn't quite as what's going on with these movies quite as much as it is mm-hmm. now. It's still, I guess this is what, 2012? Is that? 20, 2013. 2013 is when it, no, no, no. I think it might have been 2014, maybe, that it came okay. out. Let me double check. Obviously but that, go ahead, tell your story, I mean, and I'll double check. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we were, the internet was more and more becoming a place where you get all the news and details. At the very least, I wasn't following it like I would something now, and everything gets reported on now. You know everything that's happening with any of these these superhero movies for sure. So I didn't really know anything except that Bane was in it, and I liked that character from mm-hmm. the comics quite a bit. And my friend said, I want to know what you think of this portrayal of this character who I know nothing about. His name is Bane. 
and you're going to have a reaction to the voice right away. And then when we saw the movie, I was kind of like mouth agape, look over him like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, so it, the races. it was 2012. I just double checked, okay. okay. um, which is weird because that was the same. Because I remember it was the same summer that Avengers came out. Yes. And what, like that, that's a pretty good way of looking at this is that I thought it was in a completely different year than Avengers yeah. is. From. Well, it's kind of a handoff. I mean, not truly, but in a way, like the Nolan thing, what the Nolan trilogy was the last really big superhero thing we had before Marvel mm-hmm. truly became what it was. And so in some ways there was kind of a handing of the baton or a taking of the baton potentially yeah, yeah. with this is now like, and especially that first Avengers movie really defined where we would be going. So you're, it's, it's the crossover. It's everyone coming together. It's right. Lots of jokes and big world endings shit going on. And versus this dark, I want to be Michael Mann, this, all these things, you know, going on with Christopher Nolan's stuff um, for better or worse, which also gets echoed in a lot of DC stuff later, mm-hmm. probably in my opinion, most of the worst things about it get echoed. Yeah. Yeah. But it, they're so, so different. Like, one is very cool temperature. One is very hot temperature as far as like just the colors even and the amount of jokes and all that stuff. So it is to watch the movie now, this one almost ages worse to me than the first two Nolan ones because it just feels like the end of an expression of Batman that is tied to a time before the Marvel Comics uh, movies and to a particular time of what we wanted out of a Batman. Because, you know, Batman just, especially in the movies, reflects something about what's going on in our culture at that time and what we want out of th- this mirror of a man. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I see a movie in a theater, I tend to have two, not always, but for the most part, I tend to have two general reactions coming out of a theatrical experience. One is either, oh my God, that was fucking awful. Or, oh my God, I absolutely love that. And then it's not until I watch the movie again, you know, mm-hmm. later on home video when I start developing more nuanced opinions. Like, okay, well, yeah, that was okay, but maybe not as good as I originally thought it was. Or, yeah, that wasn't as bad as I originally thought it was. So when I, and it was so, it was such a weird reaction for me to come out of this. And I'm just like, I don't know what to think. I feel yeah. like I should love this, but I don't. Right. <laughs> right. How, yeah, there, I think there is some brand loyalty issue there also, especially at the time of, well, I only know these movies to be good between yeah. Batman Begins and now The Dark Knight. And now, and Christopher Nolan seems like a smart guy who knows what he's doing. And you've got so many great people involved in this. Am I missing something here? Yeah. Or it, or is it possible for this to not be good? Yeah, yeah, you know? so definitely that. Yeah. Um, but before we go too deep in the movie, let's back up a little bit. Uh, what is your general experience with uh, Batman comics, Batman as a character? Oh, man, it's funny how, like, that, you know, it's him, Spider-Man, Superman, maybe a few others, but mostly those three where it's, like, you just are given them at birth. You're handed, like, you know, your your underoos or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you have any superhero interest, you're going to have some basic touch with that. Um, I love Batman. I didn't have much of an idea of him as a kid, but except for, like, I would go, I went to the Batman movie, the first one. Mm-hmm. And Returns, I really, you know, I was uh, more of an age to appreciate a movie at that time. So I loved those um, I would play video games. I had a bunch of different Batman action figures because mm-hmm. they made so damn many of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he, they always gave him something so he could maybe play with a Superman or whatever. So it's like, I'm Freeze Ray Batman because mm-hmm. I can't just detect. <laughs> That's not enough to do with these action figures. I would watch the Adam West show when it was on TV. I watched not only the animated series, which I loved, you know, the the Bruce Timm, uh, Paul Dini one. Right. But I, would rent, I always rented uh, 
superhero VHSs at the store all the like anytime I would go I'd get the Spider-Woman cartoon all kinds of shit and the there was one I think Filmation did it the people who did He-Man but there was one where Adam West uh, did the voice of Batman again and it yeah, was yeah. just like it was just another kind of like campy version of the character but I mean I've always had him in my life always dug him but it wasn't until and this is just I wish I had a cooler or more different story for him but it wasn't until I read as a you know teenage comic reader Dark Knight Returns uh, year one, which is more I I like more as a story. I like Dark Knight Returns a lot, but I like mm-hmm. year one even more because it feels so self-contained and very much like a real crime story to me. Yeah, and digs into the psychology also of Jim Gordon so much, which I I, I love him as a character. And then later, Long Halloween, Dark Victory. Like I started to get into the Batman crime comics, and where it's a focus on that, I didn't dig the ones that were uh, there was always some big you know, event, which this movie is based a lot on mm-hmm. Nightfall, which was going on. And I remember buying some of those comics partly because it's, ooh, new Batman, you know, Azrael, he's a bad Batman and he's in right. an armored suit and all this shit. Um, but the things that really stuck with me are Batman is a broken person who is a hero still. Um, and all the psychology stuff, uh, as fantastical as it is, that goes along with him and his villains. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the Batman legends. Uh, the stories where Hugo Strange was involved are so so good if you haven't read those they were like when legends was still a series coming out and they were really focusing on how hugo strange was obsessed with batman and trying to become batman in this way and all that stuff really love that and then later on grant morrison's run on batman i ate up because again anything that they do i'm interested in but i did really appreciate their take on let's take every wild thing that's ever happened in this character's history and try to make it Try to make it make sense mm-hmm. and not apologize for it. Um, and out of that, you got some really interesting, like, poppy uh, stories, I think. So I, I love him. But, I mean, it, so the Christopher Nolan version of Batman and the more recent you know, The Batman, the Matt, Matthew Reeves one, mm-hmm. fit pretty neatly into my interest as of Batman as a grounded, relatively grounded, crime character with really psychologically interesting villains. And yeah. himself being that. So uh, the the Hugo Strange one, that's uh, Batman Prey is the uh, is the graphic novel that it's available in. I haven't read that, but I've I've had my eye on that for a while, and I've just been, and I'm going to be picking it up eventually. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely been on my list. Um, I, other than that, pretty much I had a I think we had a lot of probably because we were the same generation. We're pretty much I think we're pretty much the same age. Uh, yep. So we had very similar experiences, and and yeah, like with Superman. Batman was that kind of character that was it was kind of like handed to me at birth. I was just recently on a a Superman podcast digging for kryptonite and I was talking a little bit about how I don't have a memory of my life before Superman. And it's yep. the same thing with Batman. Like they've yep. always existed in my universe. There's never it's I don't remember when I was first introduced to them. It's a, like it's just always been part of who I am. So, and yeah, so it was um Superman and Batman were definitely there right from the start. Like I can remember being introduced to the X-Men. I can remember seeing mm-hmm. the 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 first line of X-Men action figures and seeing the Wolverine action like, "Oh wow, that guy looks cool. I'm going to I want I want that one." And not knowing anything else about the character. And then not yeah. until like a few years later when the animated series came out. So I have those memories of that was my first introduction to those characters. But with Superman and Batman, I don't have a first memory of them. And with um with Batman, yeah, it was it was also a weird time because I think it was, it might've been Fox was airing the the 60s show on reruns. Mm-hmm. And at the same time you had the Burton film. So it's like, I'm watching these two competing versions. And for my kid's brain, 
it, it's so funny when I think about it now, um, studios for a while, studios are so worried. like, oh, we can't have these different versions of the same character. People are right. going to be confused. And then me as like a five-year-old kid, I'm like, oh, cool. There's this dark Batman and then there's this campy Batman. And I'm totally fine with both of those. Uh, absolutely same here there i mean because you again because these characters are everywhere and especially batman is so malleable in this way like there's like two things that remain true about him and everything else can be fit to whatever mm -hmm. else that yeah we can totally accept all these things and i'm glad that we're getting to a point where that is true in pop culture at large all the media we consume i will say it's funny how of course the tim burton movies have a, a quite a bit of darkness to them but i would say that they are they're almost as close to the 60s Batman show as far as campiness and heightenedness goes. Mm -hmm. It's not a realistic, gritty, you know, it's not like... Right, a, yeah. And, and, and not even to say that the Christopher Nolan version is the better version, but, like, Christopher Nolan wants to dig into the, the politics of how the police force is run in Gotham mm -hmm. and how Batman affects that, uh, sometimes to a good effect, sometimes to his detriment. It's not like that's what Tim Burton's movies are about, especially yeah. the second one. Um, They are... They're so interesting and they are definitely darker, but they are very heightened and in a way cartoony in mm -hmm. my mind that now as a now that I'm older and I see both, I'm like, oh, well, one is wanting to be a comedy and the other one has comedic elements and they are both very heightened and uh, arch in a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when when people want to talk about it as like and it totally was a revolution for uh, superhero movies and just understanding Batman at all to mm -hmm. have a Batman that's not making quips all the time you know, was a new thing, but it, look at it as such a dark thing. It's like, I don't know if you watch this and you're someone who just saw the Batman, it's not a dark movie, mm -hmm. Batman 1989. It's oh, a no, fun yeah, movie. It's yeah. fun as hell. But, and, and there's darkness to it that is maybe more unique and personally twisted than you would find because Tim Burton puts a bit of himself, if not a lot of himself into everything. So you get his particular picadillos coming out in that film and especially the second one versus how characters show up in the Batman, but yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, it, I remember, um, Adam Garcia, who's probably like tied with you for like most appearances on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he once said on Twitter, he's like, he's like, Batman Returns is a lot hornier than I remember. It's so horny. Well, I mean, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman, but everybody's, I mean, those, it's funny, those four, even going outside of, uh, the Tim Burton ones, but the ones that are ostensibly follow-ups forever and mm -hmm. Batman and Robin, whether you want to talk about the homosexual aspect of it or not, uh, it's all horny as shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's an element of Batman ever since Neil Adams drew Batman. I feel like that's been a part of it, if not before. Right. Which is uh, speaking of Grant Morrison, like my, one of my favorite lines is when they described their version of Batman and, and the Neil Adams version as the horny chest, the hairy chested love God. Yeah. Looking, I mean, yeah, those ones where he's like shirtless but it has the cowl on those mm -hmm. those classic Neil Adams. It's like, yeah, he is part Indiana Jones in a way. Like, and, and I mean, it, again, we're just all the things that we can attribute to, to this character that seem not to go together in some ways. Just tell you how how malleable in the best way this character mm. is and that yeah we kind of come coded in our dna an understanding of what is batman's origin mm -hmm. we all know it somehow we we i don't same as you i don't know when i learned that it might have been the first batman movie but probably not i i don't think so i think it was yeah. before that yeah um, um so, so interesting see when talking about the nolan films it derek had a had a pretty interesting perspective on it because when these were coming out you know pre-dark knight rises i think um everyone was gushing about that and they're like mm -hmm. these are the greatest things ever it's the godfather of superhero films is what people were saying about the dark knight back then 
And Derek's reaction was much more muted. I remember he was very much like, it's like, yeah, they're, they're okay. Um, and his, and one of the things he said is um, he'd said one time on the show is that one of the, th- one of his big gripes about the Nolan films is that in trying to make a realistic Batman movie, Christopher Nolan just kind of proved that Batman doesn't work in the real world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think that really comes into the, I think, in the Dark Knight and Batman Begins, you can forgive a lot of that stuff, but I think it really starts to come to the fore in this movie, and you really start to see the oh, cracks yeah. forming. Um, another thing, too, is I think at this point, Nolan was just bored with Batman. Like, there's yeah. a definite sense of he made Batman be he was he was like nobody when he made Batman Begins, right? He had had mm-hmm. you know he had indie cred from Memento, and you know Insomnia was like his biggest thing, but it didn't do that well. It wasn't that well received. Um, so when he did Batman Begins, it was kind of like this big stepping stone and that allowed him to go on and do like the prestige and other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and so then he did the dark Knight, and you really got the sense that after the dark Knight, it was kind of like, okay, I've made it now. I did the superhero. I did the Cape shit so I can make my own movies. And now I can do things like inception and all this. And then Warner Bros. does like, but we want you to do a third one. He's like, fuck. All right. I, I agree. I also and I mean, interviews or whatever, I'm sure there's a documentation out there that might prove this one way or the other, but you know, it definitely, the dark Knight ends. You don't have to follow that up with anything. You could leave that, that ending and leave it. And now most people and most like Warner brothers, you know, million millions of dollar movies would not want to end on something so dark, cynical, uh, you know, open-ended as, well, yeah, this is just the world as it exists and we're not going to follow mm-hmm. up on it, which is Batman is now being hunted by the police. He's seen as a criminal. You know, the Joker is still out there doing whatever. Um, I, I truly believe he wanted to follow that up originally mm-hmm. and that when Heath Ledger unfortunately passed away, that neutered the idea of doing the next Batman because he, I, I to assume things about how he felt about it, he had great inspiration working with someone like Heath Ledger on this thing. And I think there's an aspect of, oh, I can't do, I mean, even if he could come up with other things, he did for this movie. Um, But it's like the fire is coming up with something for these players that is interesting to me. And when one of those is just taken off the board and you just have no option, um, aside from the emotional impact, I'm sure that had and carried Mm -hmm. working on this project. I I don't know. I just feel like it's like you, you, if I, if he had plans, even just, barely structured ones over what happens next and you remove this person the only person who can play the character you can't have someone recast obviously that that is i would think part of what takes the wind out of the sails of doing the third batman movie and then of course he's you're right he's done inception which is also it's like his thing that he wanted to do that's his baby batman is not his baby he managed to adopt it and raise it as his own his ward in fact but (laughs) the inception inception was such a hit and so so defining for him that yeah he didn't have to make this movie for himself certainly i don't think he would have wanted to without ledger or ultimately without some i i don't think he had a contractual obligation to is the thing i don't believe so i mean i could but, be wrong about that yeah but he also I mean, he carries so much weight at warner brothers like he has like a first you know, all kinds of power that he has there and few directors wield that the way that he does but yeah i i do believe I agree. I also feel like he he thought he had found something to do based on some of the things I read. I think he did have something he wanted to say. It's unclear to me what exactly he wanted to address with this movie. Um, 
they, there's a lot of returning to certain themes of, I mean, things about lies coming out for that matter and masks and hiding yourself. There's a lot of, uh, oh, the, the whole symbolism, the importance of symbolism in that one man, which is something that in the comics you don't really find. I have not seen that so much. I guess you could argue that the Bat family is a representation of Batman is an idea and mm-hmm. these other people can adopt it. But the way it shows up in this, where it's like Batman can be an inspirational figure to non, non-heroes, basically mm-hmm. non-superheroes or non-vigilantes, um, is not something that I would have ever thought to connect him to. But that comes back in a big way in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in very clear ways and in, in more symbolistic ways. And then things like, uh, you know, the the disparity, wage disparity, or, 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 you know, how we distribute wealth and everything, which are things that have kind of been there before in the other movies. Uh, but it's like, th- there's a lot that he's returning to here. And also it feels like there's a lot of cleanup for things that he set up in Dark Knight that now have to be at least mentioned because there is no Joker and there is no Ledger around to make that better. I don't know if, I would think that would be a reason not to do it for him, is that mm-hmm. now I got to deal with, you know, it's like a continuity cleanup, basically. Yeah. It's like you, you call Chris Claremont in <clears throat> to figure out a reason why Magneto has been dead three times and now he's back or something, you know, like one of those. So it's, it is that kind of, th- and also I, I believe one of the reasons he wanted to make it was that he would get such a big budget that he could do a lot of neat things. Cause that's what he's about at the end of the day is making big movies, doing cool things on screen that you don't get to do anymore because we rely on CGI and all these mm-hmm. things so much. And so that opening scene is one you know kind of a reflection of the scene opening scene in the dark knight as far as we're going to tell you everything about this movie and this villain in one scene and wet your whistle with a cold open before we jump into the real story Mm -hmm. um and i do think that that's true that opening scene as cool as it is i think it tells you a lot about bane and I, i feel like it reflects bane and the movie at large the same way that the opening scene from the dark knight reflects joker and that movie at large which is like this scene is really cool to watch it doesn't make a ton of sense when you watch it. It feels overcomplicated and like too big for its britches. However, it pulls it off. But mm-hmm. it's like, why am I watching a, a plane pulling another plane in a Batman movie? And why are they? And later you get some ideas <laughs> to why. But it feels like you didn't have to do make this this complicated. It's just a cool 007 opening to a to a movie. One of the things that kind of annoys me about that opening scene too is the Bane's henchman who agrees to stay behind and sacrifice himself. And mm-hmm. then later, you know, Daggett is you know, um, Daggett's assistant, he says that Bane says that his men would die before they talk. And Daggett's like, where does he find these guys? And I know the idea is trying to make it seem like, you know, Bane is this huge inspirational figure to them. But that really felt like an example of, okay, you're telling me that he's this big inspirational figure, but I'm not seeing why. I'm not seeing any motivation for it. And I think that was a a big failing, especially with this whole idea is, you know, and again, that going with that class disparity and the tale of two cities aspect that Nolan said he was going for, you get that, that gets lip serviced a lot in the movie. Like, especially mm-hmm. with Selena. Like, I love that scene when she says, when she's dancing with Bruce and, you know, she says, you know, you know, there's a storm coming and, yes. you know, pretty soon you're all going to f- wonder how you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. Yes. And, and then later when he, when he, when he goes, when lose all his money, he says, well, they're letting me keep the house. And she says, even the rich don't go broke the same way the rest. Those, those are, are good lines. I, these, these are, are great lines. lines. Yeah. But the yeah. movie itself doesn't really do a lot with those ideas. I agree. It's, it's such a, not even to get into the whole, like, um, no man's land, you know, God, mm-hmm. is now a wasteland aspect of it. And the stock, uh, 
the stock trading thing. Like, yeah, there is, I mean, that's one of the things. It seems like he wants, he finds some importance in highlighting that. I don't know what Nolan does. I don't know if it's because there are things that he actually finds important to talk about or if he just thinks that they are important because they're kind of present in the DNA of certainly a Batman Catwoman story for sure. Yeah. And that's something that got like, I mean, I think that, I think Anne Hathaway is the MVP of this movie. Definitely. I think yeah. her her portrayal of Catwoman as this character would have to be a good actor to do the things she does. Like when in that opening scene with her at the mansion and she's looking so mousy at everything everything she does. I mean, she it's like she shapeshifts in front of you. Exactly. And then yeah. and when she does the whole thing, you see her face when he calls out that she's wearing his mom's pearls you see her face basically again like ship shape shift into another thing and just she changes the voice um she and later on when she is caught in the middle of this fray she's screaming and you know while the police come in so that they think she's just a bystander because she knows the power of being a white woman in a, in a dress screaming mm -hmm. which is i'm the victim here and it's so great i mean every she does that so many times even when she's tricking bruce in a sense you know into into facing bane and everything but her portrayal of that person who is a shapeshifter as a real person also who mm -hmm. can be heightened and interesting but that is a uh a mask or the many masks she puts on to interact with the world i found so engaging like i i was way more interested in her than anyone else oh absolutely pretty much in this movie as yeah. much as i liked some of the people in it she was just so good and yeah i mean for me there is the the, the batman the most recent one the Matt, the batman mm -hmm. um zoe kravitz's portrayal in that i i didn't i don't know if it was the writing or whatever i wasn't a huge fan of the character that version of Catwoman, but I do think casting a person of color in that role makes sense, way more sense with this class disparity idea in, mm -hmm. in Gotham. Not, not that a white person can't be uh, downtrodden or poor, but especially with Anne Hathaway, it's not her fault that she looks like an erudite, you know, and that her, her public persona is that of a well-off drama school kid and she there's that whole thing with people hating her and it's bullshit mm -hmm. anyway but that's the only thing that she's working against that and still makes it work she looks like somebody who should be at juilliard and you still believe hey this lady's seen some shit and she's been through some shit so it's I funny you say that it's funny you said that about zoe kravitz because actually i was gonna say that anne hathaway was my favorite Catwoman until zoe kravitz and I, mm -hmm. now zoe kravitz has kind of overtaken her but you know rewatching this last night it's like I found myself kind of questioning that a little bit because you know she is, she is just so good in this movie and she so completely embodies that character probably more than any other character any other actor in the Nolan movies. She completely embodies the comic version of that character. Agreed. She it's also interesting because she kind of physically resembles the Julie Newmar version also in especially her, with in the the wearing. costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but I I agree that like the way the way that she this person who is highly intelligent very dangerous if you're on the wrong end of it um but is trying to is the anti-hero that catwoman ultimately is to be mm -hmm. uh, yeah i and again I, it's not so much zoe kravitz herself i think partly it's the way the character is written as very dour which makes mm -hmm. sense given what she's gone through but i like and and in my mind catwoman has always got a certain playfulness to her that doesn't always seem so forced where it's like i here i gotta go i gotta be catwoman and flirty again like you at least believe in the moment that she might be into you it's that kind yeah. of thing like maybe the bartender does like me oh no i was just trying to get a tip sort of thing um that I, and i think a lot of that's in the writing here too because those are such great lines that she was given 
and they are kind of unwieldy. And of course, Anne Hathaway can make them work, and she does. Um, you know, I think this movie really kind of cemented for me um, Anne Hathaway as as like kind of like a an actor to to pay a lot of attention to because before mm -hmm. this. Like my whole impression of her was like, oh yeah, the you know the girl from the Princess Diaries movies or whatever, right, and right. and you know I'd seen her in um, what well, Brokeback Mountain. I'm like, okay, well wow, she's pretty good in this, but but I don't think it was until this movie that I'm just like, oh wow, she's really good, and she's really walking a line that is not easy to do. And this whole movie is, is kind of struggling with it, and sometimes working, sometimes not. But a line between the heightened superhero-y, comic booky, you know. Uh, kind of scene stealing tone versus a more grounded we want to make a crime thriller tone and mm -hmm. that that managed in as far as a film just at all overall goes was very much straddled uh successfully in the dark night you know we get some very heightened things not just the fact that things are blowing up but just like the the portrayals that people are giving are on one hand they can be really big and you're like i don't know if someone did that in person i would think that that's that's just not true to life. But in this world, I'm getting both, you know, both of them at the same time. And in this movie, she manages that, I feel like. And it's not that other actors don't, but some of them are better defined characters in the first place. Uh, so they have more to work on. But it's just the film itself is veering between what is the deal with the police? The police are corrupt in this way or they're not. And they're they're fat cats. And we're waiting to get rid of James Gordon. They're talking about so much nitty gritty with the police shit. So much time spent on that. And then also somebody's blowing up a football stadium with an earthquake. So that's, and that's, these are things that are more common in, a, in an MCU or a Superman movie that are things that you would maybe, at least the big part of it, you're used to. But as big as these movies have gone, they didn't feel like they hit the same operatic uh, scope as this one did and i think that's some of where it fails uh not because no, it doesn't pull it off i think one of the things that i think and it's a similar problem i had with batman begins and, and it's this kind of like this recurring issue with um a lot of superhero movies is that everything has to be like the world is in danger or the country's in danger or the city's in danger or something and, I, and one of the things i really admired about the dark knight is it didn't do that right mm -hmm. it was just mm -hmm. the joker's got two boatfuls of people and he's going to blow one up and he's going to blow one or both of them up. Right. It was, it was a very simple, like he, yeah, he's causing all this chaos in the city. But when you look at um, Batman begins, right. It's the whole thing of like, okay, where we have this microwave emitter that's going to, which is right. kind of a ridiculous thing because how come it doesn't evaporate all the, <laughs> all the moisture in the human body. Then? Yeah, exactly. But, but it was this kind. It was that kind of thing, and then and then this we have Bane with the the nuclear bomb that's being driven around the city, and so it's these right. big city-ending threats. And I, and even the Batman fell prey to that too. And the and I think mm -hmm. that's why, um, I think that movie really should have ended when they captured uh, the Riddler because I think that was like the perfect place to end it. I think going into it more with the whole, the 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 his followers and the and yeah. the earth and all that stuff at the end i think that was taking it too far we could have done without do that whole last part uh yeah. and also something else about this these the nolan movies i realize is they're kind of representative of different eras of batman comics so you've got mm -hmm. the batman begins obviously you know batman year one mm -hmm. um and then you've got uh the dark knight which kind of evocative of the of the neil adams uh denny o'neill era you've got him living in the penthouse and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff um 
traveling to Japan. He's to do, traveling to do he's, like a or overseas, China. Yeah, or yeah. China, China, uh, uh, traveling overseas to do something in different, you know, right. being a James Bond type. Yeah, at, yeah. At that moment, and then this feels much more evocative of like the '90s era because you've got you've got Bane, yeah. you've got the whole Nightfall aspect of it. You've got Catwoman as an antihero, which I believe that pretty much started in the '90s, and then mm. you've got the whole uh, No Man's Land thing too. Yeah, and I think one of the problems with this movie is. They're trying to do way too much. I feel like Nolan had general ideas for like two or three Batman movies, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to make two or three Batman movies. No. So he just decides to throw them all into this one. So you've got the whole thing, you know, the wage disparity, the tale of two cities thing. Um, you've got the relationship with Catwoman Talia and, you know, going back to Rachel Ghoul from, uh, which by the way, it annoys me that they call him Roz all the time in these movies, but that's not. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that and I was like, wait, did they not call, did they use, call him the wrong thing before as well? I yeah, can remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. um, in fact, they, they have a, a note about that in uh, Batman Begin, uh, Batman Beyond. And um, mm-hmm. there's an episode of that show when uh, Rachel Ghoul comes, when Talia comes back into Bruce's life mm-hmm. and him and Terry are talking about it. And Terry calls him Ra's al Ghul. And Bruce says, no, that's that's a misconception. It's pronounced Raish. Yeah. You know, I they just haven't played uh, the Arkham games. That's it, because that's where I learned the proper <laughs> pronunciation. I think was probably playing Arkham City or something where he shows up, and I'm like, oh, Raish, got it. Yeah, yeah. On lockdown now. I can't remember if they said it correctly in in, in when he was in Arrow or not, though. Um, have to double yeah. check that. Uh, but but yeah, it's and that so you've got the the whole stuff with Rachel Ghoul and picking up on the League of Assassins stuff or League of Shadows in these movies, and then also you've got this whole thing where you want to do the nightfall story but you also want to do a little bit of dark knight returns is in there too and it's like there's it's it feels a lot like batman v superman in that way where it's you know we want to do dark knight returns but we want to do the first meeting of batman and superman but we also want to do um you know we also want to introduce wonder woman and the justice league but we also want to do the death of superman and you know it's they're cramming all these things into one movie and it's it's overstuffed as a result it really is, and um, it's amazing that they get that much stuff into a sub-three-hour movie that they mm-hmm. still manage not to crack that because it is it is a lot of stuff. But things start to suffer as a, re- as a result of that where it's like, well, that maybe would be a good story if it was given room to breathe or if you could edit it this way. But it, it's – there's so much to – I, going back to the beginning, though, like just the concept of the movie, you're absolutely right. There's kind of a combination of the tone and the goals and, and the villain side of things from the first two movies. Yeah. You've got they're trying to do the basically the movie Heat was what, like the Dark Knight was Heat, but with Batman, mm. essentially, as far as tone, as far as a lot of the way that it was shot, all sorts of things. go, And that worked great for that. They try to pull some of those gritty crime elements into this, whether it's because of the you know, what's going on with the police or anything like that. And it doesn't really work here as well because the scope is already trying to shoot bigger and it just doesn't feel like they have time to sit with it and bake it properly. They're also combining that, this kind of lower level, but look at all the seedy underside of this place. Combine that with the bigger, more superhero-y threat or supervillainy threat of Rachel Ghoul and the League of Shadows from the first one. You're right. This is kind of a retread and in of it's almost like the Darth, the Death Star in the Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, where it's like yeah. we're kind of just doing this again with some slightly different faces involved, and it's for real this time. It's going to be a big deal, um, which on its I mean I wouldn't 
it's it works out okay. It's not like that's the worst thing in the world, but it does feel like we've been here before, and it now feels incongruous with the grittier world we lived in in The Dark Knight. But you have to live in that world a little bit because you have this leftover lie that Batman and, and James Gordon told in the second one that you now have to start off the film with. And yeah. that is one of the biggest hurdles for me is that I don't care about that shit anymore. I, it's, uh, this is personal, but like if Ledger's not around, you may as well ignore the end of that movie as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned because you're not going to follow up on it in a way that I would love to see. The, I feel like we were robbed, of course, of many things. I mean, people were robbed and his family was robbed. Uh, Ledger was of it by his death. But as far as these, these movies go, we were robbed of a cool Batman movie where he is on the run from the police for the entire movie. He is an enemy as, of the city as far as they're concerned. And he is not a hobbled Batman who's been away for eight years. Yeah. That's not my favorite version of Batman. And if you're going to go that way, go longer. Make him real old or much older and much more, to, you know, like he's really working against his body. This one, he had only been gone for, what, five years in our world, like, uh, as viewers, maybe. I think it was, yeah, like oh, yeah, in our world, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, us as viewers, it's not been that long since we saw him, so it doesn't work for me, him being a recluse. It doesn't feel real. Um, it doesn't feel like it had to happen, and you've skipped over the interesting part of the story. Batman well, is the bad guy now. And also the whole thing about him being a recluse and his leg being injured, too. That's just like, you know, he gets the magic leg brace, and then everything's completely fine. And it's... It's fine. And then later, I mean, well, also you run into this whole, it's very cartoony, but it's, and a certain amount of this is just going to have to show up, but it's like, he, his leg brace makes him feel better, makes his leg better. He goes and fights Bane, and I guess the problem is that Bane is just really strong, and he's not fighting right, I guess. The second time he fights Bane, he's probably in worse shape, I would imagine, as much, as many sit-ups he's been doing in the jail. He, he fucking, his back broke, or how, or he had a vertebra, you know, like, pushed out. And so now he comes back and just fights Bane harder this time. Mm -hmm. And that's what does it. He just hits him harder this time. And it's that kind of thing where it's like, well, now I don't know what he overcame that actually would cause this. I understand that the idea is that he has to, I guess is that he, as a character, has to stop living with the suicidal mindset of I'm just out there trying to do anything, but I hope I, I die at the end of this. It doesn't feel like a good strong through line of a character. It doesn't No, And it, it completely, that's one of the things that was driving me nuts as I'm watching this. Cause Alfred is telling you he's practically shouting at the screen exactly yeah. what this character arc is supposed to be. Right. Yes. He's saying, he's saying that, you know, Gotham doesn't need your body, your body, you know, brute, you know, going out and, you know, causing a lot of property damage and, and punching people is not how you're going to solve these problems. And Bane is the representation of that because he, you can't beat the shit out of Bane. So right. for him, the whole character journey there is supposed to be, you have to use your mind. You have to use other resources. And then he just comes back. And like you said, he just punches harder now. And no, that's, and also to your point, the whole idea of like, you know, you keep doing this, you're going to get, you're going to die. And then the whole movie ends with him, you know, apparently committing suicide. Right. And then I'm and to jump to that. Like I, it's, it's funny. I always, I mean, of course, Michael Caine as Alfred, I think it's a, such a great portrayal, such a good relationship on screen. Like I feel, I feel a, a chemistry between him and Christian Bale as these characters that works for me. Absolutely. He feels more familial and more fatherly than ever in this movie because they're now on terms of, okay, I'm just going to tell you straight. Like, there's a scene where he confronts him in the stairwell, um, uh, Alfred does, basically when they break up, when he says, I'm not going to support what you're doing anymore. And I teared up this time because he's talking about 
basically, I'm I'm I've set your bones. I've you know stayed up with you while you're hurt in these ways. I will not bury you. Someone that I've cared about since I first heard his cries in the master bedroom upstairs, and yeah. he starts breaking up, and that got me because I'm thinking of if someone I care about, you know, you think of someone that you care about doing something that's self-destructive. And even if they think it's the right thing and you you do know them in that way, you've you've watched them and you've cared for them. And maybe in Alfred's case, you even feel a little guilt because you've allowed it. You, you've some played a yeah. part in it. I very much felt it. Um, Bruce, I, I think Christian Bale, of course, is just always doing he does. He doesn't turn in bad work. It's not his right. issue that anything is not working. I don't think I think the writing makes Bruce seem dumber and denser than usual in this movie. Not because he's always clear as to what's happening emotionally inside of him. That's something that usually has to be reflected back to him by other characters. But things like that where he, and then of course you have the whole reveal of the letter from the Richard Dawes letter, that he would just write Alfred off because of that. I, I just I just didn't believe it. I, there are things going on emotionally for him I just didn't buy. There's, it's such a selfish portrayal of Bruce Wayne as too. Like that, yes. Because again, that scene and going to Kane's performance, which um, again, when he's at when they're at the grave at the end, and yeah. he's he's breaking down. He's like, I you entrusted me with your son, and I failed you. This is all my fault. And he's like, you know, he's devastated. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I get they want to do that whole symmetry thing where he lives out the fantasy of seeing Bruce across the. But yeah. still, I mean, like that's. I feel like every. The more I watch this movie, the more I think about it, the more I think, like, that's a fucking shitty-ass thing to do to the guy. Like, after yeah. you've done that, Alfred should have been the first one you called and said, look, Let I'm okay. Know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and maybe, uh, who, I mean, you can argue. I, who knows what's on the cutting room floor also. I mean, that's the thing when you're talking about, this, especially a movie with this much stuff going on. Yeah. I would just imagine that there's not a version out there, but, like, there were plenty of scenes that would have gone on longer or would have maybe covered some of this stuff, not because I think they had our our interests in mind just because it's like, well, you just play the thing out and see what happens. Yeah. But uh, there are other times that shows up for me where it's like, I, I do find this Bruce Wayne to be almost more playful than ever, which I kind of like. He seems mm-hmm. to be having a good time sometimes, which is surprising given the, the circumstance of, of a lot of this. But he, the fact that he trusts Catwoman the way he does uh, when he shouldn't. And again, I, I, I would fall for it, but I'm not putting claims on the world's greatest detective or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm the way that he with the whole Miranda Tate thing that I, I will say that I I knew she, we all knew she was tall if we were worst kept secret that's worst kept secret that's yeah and that's not that's not their fault for the writing it's just how it works that's just how it works but she's pretty clearly like gunning for him I feel like and he I understand that Bruce is a human at the end of the day he's not not just like a, a robot so he is in dire straits his money's been taken away he you know this is an attractive woman he who seems to have been there this whole time doing things for you but there are various things that happen that seem like he just goes into a berserker mode with with Bane or th- places where he is just not detecting the, the more obvious things and it, it is easy to say as a viewer who is aware of these things but I feel like they the Batman they're selling me is often inept. Yeah. He doesn't come across as injured. Like, I can't keep up with that Bane. It's, I'm just being a dumb fighter. I'm not paying attention to things that matter. I'm I'm being led around by my dick with these particular people or whatever it is. And that's never, even in at his worst moments, at least I don't want that. I don't want that feeling for Batman. That's not entertaining for me. I can accept a flawed Batman who makes a mistake for sure. Absolutely. Because he would need that for this arc. But it just so many times he feels not powerful in the ways that a, that Batman should be, in my yeah. opinion. And the Bane thing, 
he's I, I would love to chat about Bane for a bit. I mean, the voice thing is its own thing, but like just this version of the character, the voice is ba- ba- yeah. uh, baked. I'll get to Bane, but I do want to talk. Yeah. There are a few things I yeah. want to say about about Batman. You know what? It's I was thinking about this, and I noticed a lot of similarities between the portrayal of Batman in this one and Ben Affleck's Batman in BVS. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. similar problems in both cases. You get this Batman who's like supposedly old and weary and yeah, there's this, um, there's this world weariness about them, but also there's this, uh, there's this ineptness about both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because like in BVS, like, and uh, Derek and I talked about this when we covered that movie and he, he had said that, you know, one of the things he liked about it is that Batman is kind of a, more of a detective in that movie. And I said, well, yeah, mm-hmm. he is, but he's also an incompetent detective because you can't tell that Lex Luthor is the one behind all this shit. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's so obvious. Like Luthor's plan is so dumb and obvious that a five-year-old should be able to figure it out. I mean, he signs his own right. fucking work and Lois Lane is the best detective in the movie. And even she is not that great of a detective in it. Yeah. Um, and I felt a lot of that in this movie too. They, they completely, I mean, the whole idea about that Miranda Tate and it, it feels like you should be able to be, you, you're Bruce Wayne, you're Batman. You should be a little bit more skeptical of this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like there's, the, and the same thing with the relationship with Catwoman, like the whole thing, it feels like these characters, Bruce is attracted to these women or he's drawn to these women. I mean, obviously they're attractive women, so that part, but, yeah. but he's drawn to these women, not because of anything they do, not because of anything they, they mean. It's just, it's because the script tells him he has to be attracted to them. Like, I don't get the sense, I as much as I love Anne Hathaway's performance in this, I don't get any sense of why her and Bruce trust each other so much and why, mm-hmm. you know, she comes back for him and why he decides to go off with her at the end. Like there's that relationship is not developed at all for me. Yeah. And it might, I think in another film uh, where she could like, you could have maybe, well, like, like a Batman returns as far as how many people you have in it, like him, her, and then a clear villain something like that, you could explore that in a way that makes that make more sense. I There's an element of it where it's like, well, there's two attractive people on screen. I accept that they like each other. But yeah, there's so many times that it's proven that you really shouldn't trust this person. And even if she's going through a character arc, which she is, she's going through a change. I, I do forget that there's kind of a time jump in the movie. It does take months, I guess, for Bruce when he's in jail and everything's happening in Gotham. So not because that makes everything better, but that does stretch the story out a little bit more that we just don't get to experience as viewers. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that they're, they're very much banking as filmmakers on the, the implied, well, of course you would fall for this person. Of course you, you want them to get together in a way, because that's one, that's how Batman and Catwoman work. You want them to kiss and have a, have a chase and everything. And that also that, I mean, I would love to explore why Batman would be, after being so drawn to a lawyer for so long, why he would be drawn to, I mean, we all like who we like. It's not that big a deal, but right. it is quite a different person that he's drawn to. Now, you could argue, of course, here's someone who's standing up for something who is uh, troubled and maybe has more parallels to Rachel Dawes than you can draw them. But there's no room for that in this movie. So, yeah, I agree. It, it's kind of a I shallow also, portrayal. I also have a really big problem with... And this is very much similar to like that 
in Batman Forever, actually, when he, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, I'm going to tell Chase who I am and I'm going to give up being Batman now. And there's very much that in this, too, where he's just like, he's like, well, I lost Rachel. So and the city hates me. So I'm just going to give up and stay yeah. and stay in, and stay in my and lock myself away in my house. And it's just like I'm like, that's. That's I mean, like if you're going to have Bruce Wayne quit being Batman, like he has to really be forced to give it up, like in Batman Beyond, where he physically cannot do the job anymore. Right, right. And for him to just say like, oh, well, you know, I was going to, you know, I had, I had Rachel and now I don't. So now I'm done. And it's like, that's, it's, it's too, again, it's something that it, they're sacrificing what this character is in order to fit this story. They're also placing, I mean, and maybe there are people who really love, I didn't dislike Rachel Dawes, either performance uh, or either portrayal of her, but I feel like they're, they're placing a lot of importance on a character whose relationship with Bruce I was not specifically invested in. Oh, it's agreed, like you 100%. Want, if I had loved this this person that had died as much as Bruce did, if you made me love that character as much, I would probably believe that, like, just I would feeling, like, emotions on an emotions level be with him. Like, oh, yeah, I can't go on either, so I get it. I totally get it. And, and it's not that. So, you know, it feels like, yeah, you, you didn't really sell me on that breaking his heart. I know there is kind of a childlike attachment he has to her. Very much so. Very and much so. And so, I, you know, this Batman, I, I do think sometimes I'm overlooking because Christian Bale seems so capable as Batman a lot of the time that I do think I overlook if, if it's maybe just partly the, how the films are made, how probably immature he is in, in certain ways, because as, as perfect as he is in, in all these other ways that we like to have a Batman be. It's like his emotional, his way of dealing with his emotions is not particularly mature or normal. And so when it comes to a crush or a love or whatever it is, I, I think the problem is we just haven't really seen that a ton in the other two movies, except when he was younger. I think um, a big problem too, and yeah. this is a problem I had too with the, the Daniel Craig Bond movies as a whole, is you want me to believe both that this is the beginning and the ending of Batman, right? So it's like mm-hmm. we start off with a rookie Batman and then within the span of three movies, now he's this grizzled veteran who has to come out of retirement. It's it's a yeah. lot to put it. It doesn't quite work. I mean, like I could, it, if you're doing it in in in, and I'm bringing it back to Batman v Superman, but I I could buy that because that's the first time we're seeing this Batman. So yeah, and we're using an older actor, so I can buy that this is a Batman who's been around for 20 years. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I can't buy that we've gone that Christian Bale has been at this for so long and now he's this grizzled veteran who it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. No. And I never in the movie think of him that way. Like yeah. when they have him with the cane and he has the goatee and stuff, he looks great, but I don't think of him as anybody different from the Bruce Wayne that I last saw in the dark Knight. nor yeah. in the rest of the movie. They try to put a little gray on it in his temples and stuff. And I, you know, whatever. I just, his portrayal doesn't feel like someone who's really any different from the last time I saw him, which also maybe says something about the unchanging nature of Bruce Wayne. Mm. But ultimately, yeah, I, I think a, a mistake in this movie was setting it this much later. And yeah. I know that, that there were reasons for that. But I mean, one, I really would have rather seen just the next Batman adventure be, well, Bane's in town. Cat was here. I mean, think I, I don't know. I not to pitch a single movie that would have been the better version because there's so lots of things that I like about this and lots of things that didn't work. But I love Bane. I love Catwoman. Bring them into a movie that's the follow up to now that we don't have the Joker. That's the follow up where Batman is seen as an, a criminal and an active threat, and they're having to live in this world because now he's on the hunt. And maybe he was injured at the end of that one, and that's why Bane can really move in and do whatever Bane is going to do. And 
gets to break him even further. And the thing with Catwoman, you can still have that. It just feels like if you narrowed it down to those characters, those aren't even the most interesting, always the most interesting characters in the movie, but they all could have worked better, I think, even just with more time. I mean, yeah. again, we're talked about how much stuff is going on in this film. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, let's... um one more thing and then we can jump into into Bane is yeah. the whole idea and this this kind of ties to Bane because another problem I had with this movie is the the mythology they try to build up behind Bane and the League of Shadows mm -hmm. because in, in in Batman Begins I thought they had done something that was really clever at, which is when they said that um when that scene when uh Liam Neeson reveals that he's Raish when mm -hmm. you know he says oh is Raish al Ghul immortal or is method supernatural and then uh Bruce says or just parlor tricks to disguise to conceal your true identity. My initial reading of that is that Rachel Ghoul was a mantle that's passed mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And I like that because that's a real world way to explain the fact that Rachel Ghoul is immortal. Yeah, um, without doing a Lazarus. Without pit. without it's doing like, a Lazarus. Yeah. Pit. Yeah. yeah. And they then they, they made it pretty clear in this movie that no, 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 it's 100% Liam Neeson is Rachel Ghoul. He was always Rachel Ghoul, which then sets up all these other types of issues. Like what is the League of Shadows? How long has it really been a, around? And the whole mythology around Bane, because at this, you have these two competing ideas. One, you have this idea that Bane was looking after Talia when she was this little girl and he was excommunicated by Rachel Ghoul himself which implies that he's got to be older than Bruce Wayne. Yes. And he had to, because, you know, Rachel Ghoul meets Bruce Wayne, and then a few months later, he's dead. So there's yeah. not a whole lot of time to squeeze that in there. But right. then you have in this where, like, Alfred is talking about treating Bane as if, like, well, he's a younger, stronger version of you. It's like, how does that work? That doesn't square away. Yeah, I mean, the actor, I don't know their differences. They're probably, I mean, he's Tom Hardy's probably a little younger than Christian Bale, but, like, that's the actor. That's not yeah. the person. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, they get into all that stuff so much, I way more than I want explained. Um, well, same thing when they're stuff. in the prison, they're like, well, the legend says, I'm like, I know it, it was, ten, it was like, what, 20 years ago. It's not I that know. long ago. And it's, it's, it's like another thing where it's like, maybe if you had a whole movie to dedicate to this side of the world, you know, like Batman travels to this side of the world and you do an adventure with it, you could, you could spend time talking about all that stuff, but that's another place where I'm like, okay, we can edit this movie down by 10 minutes already by shortening the amount of space we give to all the story of this person, because we're being introduced to Miranda, well, uh, Talia and Bane in this movie for the first time and then we're being given this like intentionally you know uh secretly told story that's actually about talia but you know it seems like it's about Bane at first and now it's about both of them and it they're giving them all this this mythical status of things but it doesn't lend them status as characters that doesn't translate into them seeming more mythical or special nor does it really give me a lot of understanding of their character motivations yeah bane continues to be and I, and if he's meant to be a mystery then mission accomplished but why exactly he does anything he does is not very clear to me why he's so focused on something like class warfare uh or on the the ideology of a man that excommunicated him is that something he really believes in i don't know talia did chose bane over her father initially when you know when he excommunicated him from the thing she said i stayed with him and then so does she is she obsessed with the same thing or is this purely revenge is this all revenge if it is whatever but why are you doing it monetarily as well as well as plunging gotham into just kill i mean there's so many things it, it again that first scene tells you a lot about how this movie will treat its villains which is that they will bend over backwards to make a, a theatrical display 
out of this thing, which I think is a mistake with the character of Bane. Some of that comes from comic you know interests because I, I read the comics and I love the way that he's portrayed there but I think also it's a mistake to follow a theatrical villain such as the Joker that cannot be followed with a very theatrical villain um, so there are several things you said in there that I wanted to touch on um first the whole idea of Bane uh one of the things uh, voice aside right the voice is just sure. I don't know what the and it, I thought the choice for Bale's Bat voice was odd. I wasn't sure if that was the the actor's choice, the director's choice, but now seeing that and what they did with Bane too, I wonder if it's just like Chris Nolan's got this weird thing about voices. I don't know. Yeah. But that that voice is ridiculous. But that's another thing. But I did I was on board for Bane for most of this movie. Despite the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, his motivations don't really make sense and all that. I mean, more or less I liked what Tom Hardy was doing. But then at the end, when they when they have the, the Talia reveal, that's when it completely lost me. Because now it's just like, oh, you're doing exactly what Batman and Robin did, which is you're making Bane a glorified henchman. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. And I don't like that. I mean, Bane deserves so much better as a character. I mean, he is Batman's intellectual and physical equal, if not better. Right. And if you're not, I mean, of course you can change things for the films where needed, but if, if that's, you've made him, Talia is not the main villain of this. She doesn't get featured all that much. She's gone for 30 minutes at a time until the yeah. end, you know, a lot of the time. So it's one thing if you're like, well, you just want a strong guy or something. And so you're going to, I mean, what they did in Batman and Robin, but in this case, yeah, it's the best. I mean, they, they, they captured some things about Vane, Vane, Bane that are of course important. He, he still seems very intelligent in this and he is you know moving chess pieces as much as he is a physical threat but yeah he, he it does and maybe it's just because of how physically like broken he is at that moment he seems kind of like a lummox once he's beaten up and it because he's so big and it yeah it just feels like oh yeah you were just muscle you were just doing what someone else told you to do why were you so fervent about this i mean obviously you're very intelligent i, I mean and some of that as i say it out loud i can argue for why because if he is that dedicated to this this woman who stayed with him, who he loved as a, a little girl, like that he took care of. I could see why he would do that. But knowing, again, it's a comic book readers thing, knowing what Bane originated as, I, I feel like it's a waste of the character at that point. Um, but there's a, there is a lot to enjoy about this performance of the physicality of it. He makes a lot of fun choices. I mean, the voice is truly bananas and I can't imagine that they didn't think people would think that's funny. Like, you have to know. People will think this is funny. They had to recut a lot of the dialogue after the initial release, like, after the uh, previews, because people couldn't understand it. I had a hard time understanding it. Um, but Well, I that's another problem with Nolan. It's yeah. just like, I don't know what he's doing with sound in these movies, because uh, uh, my, you know, my I, I watched this on my Apple TV through, through my yeah. Flex library, and there's a setting on the Apple TV to... Uh, reduce loud noises yeah and, and then there's another setting for full dynamic range so i had had the reduced loud noises on for a little bit uh because you know just because you know my wife's in the other room and everything and i thought sure. let me change it to a full dynamic range to see and all of a sudden the dialogue got very quiet yep. and the explosions got ridiculously loud i'm like okay you can do a better job with the sound mixing i don't and he had the same problem with tenant when everyone's like what tenet the hell is, is going on with this is is atrocious in that way i i work in sound and they're like i won't even get into all the shit behind 
like what what all that is basically to say that yeah in, in every room every like tv setup whatever is going to be different when things are mixed for theater it is it is a different world but i saw it in the theater and i had a hard time understanding him some too i now this time i can understand him better at home so lucky me but the combination of the filter that they put on his voice and everything that's that's just all its own thing but why the character sounds the way he does i don't have to have an in-world explanation for it but it's so specific he is so theatrical he's so croaky and everything's like that. you know everything is so uh it's such a show why how did this how did he come to be this way and it's the times when he is at his most intimidating are not the times when that voice is on display. Yeah. There are times where he lays his hand open palmed on the back of a of a over a real talkative and shitty CEO guy's back and says, Dagget, Do yeah. you feel it? Yeah. Do you feel like you're in charge right now? Things like that that are about a quiet threat that are very like Tom Hardy plays so well. It's the voices honestly playing against that in some ways. Yeah. I'm like, I'm enjoying I'm kind of laughing with him like, oh, it's funny that you would use this voice and still be intimidating. But it's it's not that it's indefensible. I, enjoy, I I'll say this. It's fun. It's fun that he does this voice. So, whatever. But in my in my mind, because I'm a comic book guy and I, Bane is a very particular person, and also because we just had somebody who was a very theatrical character, a villain, the, the Joker, the most yeah. theatrical of all. I I wish to see maybe someday a version of Bane that is quiet that is intimidating, that is not just about his physicality, which they got right in this, he is, he's both, but that is someone who will be more of those quiet moments without the Sean Connery croaky stuff that he's yeah. doing. Because that is more the character, that character, Bane, if anything, should be a man of less words, as intelligent as he is. And that may not be as fun or, and who knows, I, mean, I feel like that's a Tom Hardy thing. He seems like a guy who's a steamroller, like once he makes a choice, he's gonna stick with it and you can yeah. only steer it so much. But I don't know what other than him tr kind of being a, a despot and kind of, and a leader of men that might be some of why they wanted to give him this larger than life presence that way cuz you know the way that they dressed him he looks like a, a dictator and everything. Yeah. But I'm not really interested in seeing another one of that kind of villain again. Him and Batman don't even interact that much. So it's he's more doing that with other people than this character who is a mastermind who is quiet and also this physical force i, I so wish to see that someday because i mm -hmm. think that is where bane's value as a character lies and of course we'll never escape the the impressions and, and everything of, of this version and, and frankly i i'll say it again like i actually really enjoy it i just think it's a wild choice see for I me i think would have thought of i think the best thing that came out of the voice in this movie is that they use it in the Harley Quinn animated series mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. hilarious. That's the only, that's the I only way I can, yeah. that's the only way I can defend this voice. The fact that, well, now it's being parodied in Harley Quinn. And if we didn't have right. this movie, we couldn't parody it that way. Right. So that's, that's the only thing I'll say in defense of the voice. Otherwise mm -hmm. I just think it's the more I watch it, I'm just like, Oh God, this is, this is so, this is so ridiculous. Uh, but yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think Bane was definitely underutilized in that way. And also, the going back to the whole motivation of it, I, you're you're kicked out by Rachel Ghoul, but you're still so committed to his plan and his last defeat, and I just, it feels like a complete because you know Talia talks about him, and it sounds like she's still holding this grudge against him, but then she still feels this sense of honor to 
you know, complete his, his last mission. And it's just like, yeah. it doesn't, those two things don't square with me. It's a, it's one thing if you're having her, if you want them to destroy what he had built with the League of Shadows or something like that, which actually would have made a lot, a much more interesting movie if you had like Bane being this excommunicated former, former member who's going after the League of Shadows mm-hmm. and Talia is now in charge. That would have been a lot more interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, I'm, a lot of times I'm not sure what the hell their reason is for doing all this stuff. Yeah, I I feel like I feel like once you get to everything being revealed, it's not uh, the problem is it, none of it feels organic. You can yeah. argue, I can I can sit down and argue why he would do this because she wants to do this and at the end of the day, yes, I can hate my parent and also feel like I need to take revenge on anyone who killed them. I mean, that's something that we've accepted in a lot of movies, but we're just told about it. We are yeah. told in story form the the motivations for these characters and it still feels flimsy. I mean, that, and that's part of the problem. We're being told, not shown. So Talia's problem with Batman, it doesn't feel tangible. It doesn't feel real. It feels like she's kind of just a, a Bond girl or just a villain, just a super villain who wants this because she wants it. And therefore, I, I mean, that's why as much as I like that actor, I say just get rid of the, the whole Sh- League of Shadows thing. Cause I don't well, I mean, really yeah, want the whole, that stuff. The whole the problem is that they sacrifice the development of Talia's hatred for Batman so that they could have this twist reveal at the end, which mm-hmm. doesn't hold up over time, didn't even really hold up at the time. No. So it just they wanted like a similar twist to um like in uh in Batman Begins when you had the the twist that Liam Neeson is actually Ray Al Ghul. Yeah. It felt like they wanted to replicate that. And it just yeah. it doesn't work here. Yeah, that maybe in striving for some kind of symmetry and callback, which is it can be really cool when you yeah. when you get it right. I think I I think when Liam Neeson showed up in it, I did think like, oh, cool, it's cool to see him. And it's like I don't really need him here, but it is. It did feel like it was kind of a. I guess all of Batman's fathers show up in this movie. His dad, they even have a. You know, when he's trying to escape the prison, they have and he falls. They have a quick flashback to his. Oh, that's right. Yeah, going down the the uh, the tunnel or whatever where the bats got to him in the first movie as a child. Of course, Alfred is there. You've got uh, Jim Gordon. I guess not really a father figure, but he does look considerably older than him and is a bit of a mentor. I think you could definitely. I think you definitely make an argument for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Rachel Ghoul, who was uh, helped birth the Batman showing up. So it's interesting. It's like he's being visited, whether truly or in, in a dream, in this case, by these visions and, and versions of his father, who as much as you know, it's his parents, his father always seemed to be the defining, you know, it, it's a father right. son thing that he's looking for, that he's looking for some kind of guidance and, and something to fill that. He gets a lot of that and and. I mean, I, I guess for the time that they had, I felt somewhat satisfied seeing that, uh, whether it was intentional or not, it felt like it was visited on, like, he is being given guidance. He has been finding people in his life to fill these roles. Yeah, and I did like seeing... He needs it. I did like seeing Liam Neeson come back, although yeah. when I'm watching this movie again, it just still drives home the fact that the, the story logic just doesn't make sense here. Um, but And going with that, too, like, I still can't understand how the hell he goes from this prison out in wherever the fuck it is. And then he gets back into he, somehow he's able to fly back across the world. I know. And he gets back into a Gotham that is under martial law. And it's just like, I it, know. It, it, well, hell, it already feels weird when Batman wakes up in the prison and Bane is there. It's like, so you guys just flew out of Gotham and you're going <laughs> to fly back afterwards. You just wanted to be here when he wakes I, up. Maybe, uh, maybe Bane's got like a, a, 
uh, a boom tube hidden somewhere. <laughs> exactly. When these are things, I say this a lot, but it's also a reminder to me. Like, these are things that show up in other movies I like. These kinds of plot holes always show up because we can't, they're not real. These are not real stories. Right. The problem is this film doesn't do enough to distract us with entertainment. Exactly. Or, and it gives us too many times where it's trying to explain something otherwise and does it in a way that's not satisfying or, or is just distracting in the first place. Like, I think how much is spent on that stuff? A really good example of this is uh, Civil War because in that movie, the, the timeline does not make any sense mm -hmm. because you know they're in in germany and um ross tells stark you know you've got what like 48 hours to grab them or 24 or whatever it is mm -hmm. and tony still has time to fly back to new york recruit spider-man and fly right. back to germany mm -hmm. um and steve has time to have you know, to call up Clint, have him fly from, you know, Oklahoma or wherever, go to Los Angeles to pick up Scott Lang and yeah. then fly over to New York to, to get Scarlet Witch and then to fly to Germany. And they don't even logic. have a Quinjet, though, because then they're breaking into the airport to steal the Quinjet. So none it's of that makes any sense. Logic, like right. when you like in the Avengers comic, that would be one panel of here they are. Yeah. <laughs> showed up. But yeah. but like but to your point, there's so much other stuff happening in there that distracts us. So we don't notice that until we're right. watching these movies again. But here it's right. just like the other stuff is not. It, so it, it's it's so obvious in this movie that we're not we can't be distracted from it. It's a similar thing. You know, and I I actually really like um Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance uh, as John Blake in this. Yeah. I think he's very likable. Um, the reveal of him at the end, it's kind of just funny to me. I, I, I don't mind him becoming, I guess, Batman, the idea of that. But it's more like the, the reveal of his name being Robin just feels like, I don't know, trying to throw somebody a bone in a way that just does not jive with me. But I, I do like his performance. But there's even in that, and maybe, and please tell me if I'm missing something, but he tells, he figures out who Bruce Wayne, that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which is a cool little, you know, uh, Tim Drake you know, call back from the comics where it's like, hey, I was the one kid who was able to figure out who you were. Yeah. Just easy on his own. I'm that good a detective. Um, but he says that he grew up in an orphanage or whatever, a, a home, and he saw Bat or he saw Bruce Wayne come around with women on his arm and in a nice car and all this stuff. So he was a kid then, but Bruce was not doing that until he was Batman because he you know came back and started acting the role of bruce wayne right and batman begins and joseph gordon levitt and this is partly the problem of the actors i believe joseph gordon levitt is seven years younger than christian bale <laughs> so now I, I, they do look it, it does play a little better in the movie because you know justin gordon levitt looks fairly young and, and christian bale's looking older in this but even without that it's like so how old is john blake then mm. and, and it's and i'm i'm i this is the first time i noticed that in this watch so maybe that says something about not important but is that kind of thing where it's like yeah you guys keep dropping the ball on stuff i start worrying about shit that really should be glossed over in my own brain um, one of the things that drove me nuts about the joseph Gordon levitt when when john reveals that he knows that bruce is batman is just the way he's found out like i'm fine yeah. with him figuring it out just like tim drake did but, but tim drake figured it out by using actual detective skills mm -hmm. john blake figures it out by looking at bruce wayne and saying like That's hey true. you look like batman I think yeah. you, behind you your yourself. eyes. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, such a yeah, weird sense of Batman from you. And then Bruce goes along with that. There is something, um, I guess it's a lot of people end up knowing who Batman is in this movie and that's fine. I mean, that's, it's the end of this Batman. So who cares? Mm. But there's, there's something that's nice that was like absent from the other movies, which is a sense of brotherhood for Bruce. Yeah. He almost had it in, 
Harvey Dent. Um, and he kind of has it in Jim Gordon, but again, that's a, more of an uncle or a, a father figure. He doesn't have a lot of peers. Um, yeah. And, and that says something to me about his psychology, which is like, I make myself the special, being an only child myself, I, I make myself the special one that needs mentors and people to take care of, people to see to me, not so much someone that I can be on equal ground with. And then he gets uh, John Blake, who, and when they're in the car and John Blake is like, so why the mask when you started off? And he starts talking about it. There's something about I wanted to see more of it because I just like Batman having a friend that he That's, can talk to. <laughs> that is a, a recurring theme throughout all the Batman movies that is really lacking is the whole absence of peers of the Bat mm -hmm. family. And and I think like these decisions to constantly put Batman in these scenarios in these situations where he's the only guy who does. Mm -hmm. it, I think it. I think it's really doing it. There's so much of the character that you're leaving out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I get, I do get it. I think also we're at the point in pop culture where we are fine with things being more comic booky, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. And I think that was, I mean, Robin is easily the one you would point to, but the idea of Batman working with other people, like, uh, pops the balloon of, ooh, gritty Batman working, you know, doing this. And yeah. that it, it's, it becomes a headache to try to figure out how to make Robin Robin. But I'm not arguing those points. I'm just saying, I think that's, why for the longest time we've avoided it and that I do think going forward, whether it's with Matt Reeves version of the character or not, I think we are primed as an audience more than ever to accept a live action, you know, like taken seriously version of Batman that also has a Nightwing or a Robin or a Huntress or whoever. One of the things that really, as much as I loved the Batman, one of the things that really annoyed me about it is that I am so done with Batman in the real world. Right. Mm -hmm. I've, I I was, you know, it was fine when Nolan did it, but that's done. It's run its course. We've had that. And I, I would, I, I kind of want to see, you know, the, the Batman who's in a much more colorful situation, mm -hmm. not, you know, not like the Adam West stuff, not like the, the Tim Burton stuff or the hyper Gothic, but I, but something that is, and that's actually one of the things I, as many criticisms as I have about the Zack Snyder movies, I did mm -hmm. like that. They're giving us a Batman who, can move around who isn't tied oh, down yeah. to this real world situation type of thing yeah it, it would be very i would totally be on board for seeing it i i do tend since i i don't know just the things that i like about batman the most tend to be the things that would lead you to this type of interpretation the, the batman or the the dark knight trilogy um those are the things that i'll always if they look like they're done well, I'll always want to go see them and see what's going on because that's yeah. my favorite Batman. But especially a Batman that's living in a world with other people who do crazy things or even superhero, super, uh, super humans even. Um, a version, the version of Batman that shows up in in JLA, the uh, the Morrison version is what mm -hmm. I tend to think of. The Batman that has a UFO in his closet and will pull it out if he needs to. Uh, I I would love to see that. It would be really interesting to see who like what balance of you know uh, confidence and capability and closed offness and what would you find what what actor would you find and how would they portray it that would balance with that kind of world that's not me saying it couldn't be done i i just think it'd be really interesting cuz we've certainly never seen it in live action yeah i mean yeah. i think maybe the 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 animated series version of batman is closer to that even though cuz we ultimately saw him in the justice league cartoon and we well, I think it absolutely it was because play. i mean like i mean in the animated series, because even though it was this more or less grounded take, you also had the fantastical elements in it, right? Mm -hmm. You had Rachel Ghoul, who was actually immortal. You had the, you know, the giant Clayface. penny and the and the robot dinosaur in the Batcave. Yeah. You had Clayface. Yeah, you had all these 
weird elements to it. And just like, I feel like you're, I feel like they're, and this is not a criticism necessarily of the Nolan films, this is a criticism of the movies in general since Nolan. It's that you're doing a disservice to this character by saying like, we're just going to focus on the real world style. Things. Yes. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I think the character yeah. is, is a lot more diverse than that. And I think, and that's, and as much as I, and again, I love the Batman, you know, we talked about it on the show and there's a, Robert Pattinson was great in it. I'm glad mm -hmm. that we get a Bruce Wayne who is actually a detective who actually yeah. does detective work in it yeah. and who is cop because like in you got a little bit of in with Michael Keaton you got a little bit of it with Christian Bale in the Dark Knight but it's mostly done like off screen yeah this was the first time that I felt like okay we're seeing Batman as a detective actually going through and detecting stuff we're seeing him solving crimes like a detective and I like that but at the yeah. same time he's a guy who dresses up as a giant bat he's, you know have some fun with it well and that is the that that is kind of a, a dichotomy there where it's like well you know that's something that gets brought up so often i'm, I'm sure i've said it where it's like yeah i want to see i mean we kind of got it in the dark knight but i want to see crime thriller batman i want to see that mm. and i i think i personally would be fine with a Batman, like uh, Michael Mann's Batman, where it's basically like there's some action scenes, but it's mostly like simmering, you know, conversations between Batman mm. and the villain that he's going after and all this shit. But at the same time, I understand that that's a pretty particular flavor of Batman that I, as a 38 year old man, are in am interested right. in at this point. And that the character, as, as you know, we discussed at the beginning, is so many things to so many people that there there is room for all that stuff and yeah like that's that we keep going back to this grim dark well for batman yes that has been the most popular version or a, a version of that is the one we've gone to for most versions of batman outside of the adam west or the things yeah. that have been most successful so far but we are not giving much of a chance to batman who still isn't smiling all the time but mm -hmm can hang out with Superman and not treat him like a, hey, I want to kill this alien that, yeah, that's on yeah. the planet or whatever. Yeah. I have a friend. His name's Clark. I have another friend. Her name's Diana. This type of thing. I have a buddy. His name's Tim Drake. We hang out. I'm kind of his dad, but you know, like that, that would be nice to see those. And I think, I do think it's, it's going to split the character in a way that people aren't used to once they do that. And that's a good thing probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I haven't talked a whole, we talked a little bit, kind of danced around John Blake a little bit. Uh, anything else that really add about him? What do you think about him like becoming the successor to Batman at the end there? It's fine. I, I would have been completely happy without it. I think if, if we didn't get the scene where we find out that Bruce is, or I, I interpret to be that Bruce is alive with Selena, because mm -hmm. I guess you could, you could see that as Alfred just kind of. I mean, I was thinking about that, but you've got the Pearl thing. So I yeah. think that really yeah. sells it. I think it's so I, I am glad we got that because even though I never would have imagined that ending for him because I and you know I coming from comics you never imagine a Batman that is ever going to retire that's just right uh, you know detective comics has to keep running but I, that if they hadn't had that and it just ended with him dying even if they cleaned it up to be a little bit more heroic and nicer I would have been like no that's not how this needs to end for me. But that they ended with that was fine. The the John Blake thing was kind of like okay this is fun I did get uh, last time I watched it I had a little more like pinprick feeling you know like a little bit more goosebumps about it mm -hmm. i think just because i had bought into to john blake as a person more and yeah. the 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 score is rising and everything and it's a cool image that this is going to happen it's not because i'm excited you know to imagine the adventures that john blake will have as batman um because it's i don't know there's just something about it. it's like yeah but you're not batman like 
you're if anything apparently you're robin and bat robin isn't supposed to be batman batman's bat you know it's just this kind of turnaround thing like i think it's a cool idea i just i don't even see i just don't even see bruce like passing along that stuff to him i i, I also it seems i don't really buy john's decision to quit the police force either like it just when he throws when he tosses the badge off the bridge like i couldn't quite yeah. figure out it, it just felt like it was Again, this is an example of something that has to happen because the story tells yeah. us it has to happen. Um, so I didn't really like that aspect of it. And and also, there's also another story which I realized because they say at the end when they're executing his will, he says that his will wasn't amended since the financial troubles, mm -hmm. right? So, so, um, so most of this will was made before the... So when did he decide that Weird. John Blake is going to be his successor then? Batman, yeah. You know, it's. I think it could have been handled better as far as the writing asks, or and who knows what again what was cut out of the movie. But yeah, um, John Blake is going through. It stated, or you see it pretty clearly that his arc in the movie, forced as it might be, is that he is a officer. That he is, and it's funny. It's it's interesting watching a movie that doesn't really. It just watched interesting watching this in 2022 when the police mm -hmm. are so much a part of the focus and kind of ultimately part of the, not really the problem more the solution at the end you know, but uh, that John Blake is going through an arc of disillusionment with authority in general. He gets it from I mean one meeting Batman and Batman not being exactly how he wants him to be is already kind of a thing. Of course the whole thing with Jim Gordon and the reveal of how they lied about Harvey Dent. This city is so obsessed with Harvey Dent. I have never heard of a city having a whole day around a single DA. I mean that yeah, sounds yeah. like made up shit to me, but so be it. Um that he and then of course the whole thing with the bridge. Now I think he's inter is he interacting with military? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, obviously representing similar ideas that this is an authority figure. This isn't the police you're dealing with. It's it's, you know, but maybe that it's part of it is that I'm bound by certain things that I can't do, and I've seen the bullshit because he's also been dealing with Matthew Modine's character, which is mm -hmm. a weird character. To yeah, think I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. He got so much screen time for a character that was invented for this. It's not like a wrap up of his arc from, you know, the first movie or something. Um, and then he, I guess, dies a hero's death at the end, but. But it's like, at that point, I'm just like, I don't even give a shit. <laughs> no, I really don't. I, I don't really care. There's a giant battle going on. But yeah, I it's I don't think the arc is done well, but I do think they at least check the boxes. And JLG does sell me on, okay, I believe this is where you're at now that you would mm -hmm. leave the force. None of that's to say that like, it's it's so transmitted like they, they let you yeah. know what's happening with that pretty pretty early on and certainly as it's happening but i don't mind that but i don't necessarily think that that makes him batman either in his mind well yeah I, I and also bruce hands it down maybe he would but i mean i, I think know. i think i probably would have liked the ending better if he goes and finds the Batcave on his own not that bruce like that would be cool i think that would have because i think that would have made a little bit more sense because all this time you know he's been asking bruce these questions about you know wearing a mask and everything like that so I think it would have made much more sense for him to kind of come to this decision mm -hmm. a little bit more organically as opposed yeah. to, um, okay, well, I'm quitting the force. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, well, Bruce Wayne just gave me the coordinates to the Batcave. So now I can yeah. go. Yeah, what a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's 
it gets me as far as filmmaking goes. It doesn't, it, it, to an extent, it doesn't get me as far as I'm looking at a thing and now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I, I afterwards I'm like, well, I don't really care. I don't need him to be Batman. I don't need a movie where, where he's Batman. That's not going to do it for me. So, right. no thanks on that one. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted? To, we haven't really talked about Morgan Freeman or anything, but he didn't really have a whole lot to do. He was just kind of like there mostly in this. I mean, he's, he's good enough in the part he has, but. He's doing, he's doing his usual thing. Um, I mean, he's doing great and i uh, it's another case where it's like hey he's always known that bruce is batman but it is nice that they don't even have to dance around it anymore in this one at yeah. a certain point where he's just leading them around showing them what they're doing and what's available as far as machines go and being an ethical you know he's such an ethical uh he's kind of another father figure in that way where he kind of you know taught in the in dark night when they're talking about this uh, the security or the surveillance machine you know that they have well, i think that that's that's one of, the, of that that's one of the issues i had to, is like that it's almost that the way that ends there, like it's almost kind of mm -hmm. setting. I know they had the thing where he typed in his name and then it all the machine blew up, but there's mm -hmm. still the fact that this happened. There was this whole thing about it. And yeah, that is just, it's like it never happened in this movie. I mean, I know it's been yeah, eight years, yeah. but still, that's a big, that's a big character. That's a big change in their relationship that is just gone. Yeah. Yeah, Lucius, I mean, they made a big deal about Lucius is adamant about this thing. And basically it was like, a, don't worry, we'll never have to talk again. You just need to do this for me right now. Yeah. And yeah, I can see that being healed. But all that seemed to happen was he disappeared. Maybe, I mean, you can argue that it's like, well, now times are dire, but they're not dire when they first get back together in this yeah. movie. It's just kind of like, anyway, do you want to see some toys we have? That's Yeah, yeah. It's just like, he's around. like, oh, yeah, I know you're yeah. retired. But by the way, I made this, I made you a bat plane. Yeah. But it is there's something about like the the pressure being off that when once he's showing him around, especially like later on in the film, once things have kind of gone to hell and they're talking about what they need to do next. I just enjoy Bruce just kind of being able. They're not saying, hey, by the way, I'm Batman. You know, I'm Batman. They don't say that, but they're talking so openly about it. And it feels nice because it it feels like a humanizing of Bruce. Like he can be something closer to his whole self in the presence of someone who already knew this, but they just could not talk about it before. And well, I think, I think that's more an extension of what they did in the dark night, because in, in Batman begins, they were dancing around with it. But in first time we see him in the dark night, right. He's, you know, you know, he's talking to Lucius openly and he says, mm -hmm. he had some ideas about the colony. He's like, Oh, you want to turn your head? Okay. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that kind of, so I think it was, it was for me, it was just more of an extension of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice relationship to see them in. Although, Again, just the whole idea of, yeah, you're retired, but I still made you a bat plane anyway. Seems kind of weird. Well, and, I mean, gotta say that bat plane looks great. Um, and and it was interesting watching the movie and then thinking about it. I'm like, oh, well, one, it reminded me of the spinner from Blade Runner, which I believe was a inspiration, uh, yeah. for Christopher Nolan for that. But also, I was like, oh, in any other movie, then or now, that would just be all CGI. There would be nothing there. And this thing is a thing that is mm -hmm. on camera that is doing stuff. I mean, it's not a real bat plane, but it is something and it feels and looks so good it just I, I love it because you can see things reacting on set that are being blown around by whatever they're doing and the thing landing it's just like it, there's something about a real practical effect that i i found myself not even questioning it because it is real it mm -hmm. is it is what it is and that that i just forget that that's what nolan strives for a lot of the time and that's some of his magic is just choosing to do the harder thing with something that's not that important to the movie. I mean, it's mm -hmm. there, but it shows it multiple times and that it's practical is really, really cool to me. Um, I would say that advice for any future Bat filmmakers, do not, two, two parts to this one. 
do not film Batman in the day mm -hmm. and definitely don't film his entire body at once during the day because the fights at the end when he is fighting Bane and it's bright daylight and they're fighting on the steps he looks ridiculous it is yeah not a good yeah look. that shit was not meant for daylight it was not meant to be seen all at once it makes him look kind of squat and and short and, and neither of them are particularly tall guys but it's just not a good look and I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out and I was like no 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 it's like if you saw like a, a Freddy Krueger movie and it was all the deaths were happening during the day yeah like, no yeah. this is just not how we do this this should be at night everything happens at night in Gotham City it's night 18 hours a day there let's just keep it that way that was one of the things I thought Snyder did really well is just filming how Batman fights like that was that mm -hmm. As much as I despise BVS, it's like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But mm. that warehouse scene is it's cool. up until up until he blows the guy up. Up until that, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It shows exactly how Batman. It feels like one of the Arkham fight scenes, just in live action. It's done so well. Um, and yeah. I know it wasn't live action. You know, mostly CGI in that, but still the whole sure. Um, and it's it's going to be difficult to get a I mean, I think it can happen, but to get a Batman that is I, I think Pattinson is lean. He's more lean than he is muscle. Yeah. And so that's a good look for a Batman because the suit adds weight. So if you get someone who's kind of lean and, and lanky and you put a suit on them and you give them a suit that you allow to not be a perfect Batman suit, then you can get someone who can move like a ninja. That's not what they chose with Pattinson. But that type of thing, I would love to see more fights oh, yeah, like that. Absolutely. Like with Batman, where it's like, yeah, see him actually pull off these amazing ninja skills that he supposedly went and trained to get. And most of the time, it's like, well, it's quick cuts. And, and Nolan isn't known for doing great, like, you know, fight scenes or anything like that. So It's so uh, weird that they keep getting directors for, for Batman movies who don't really know how to film fight scenes. Because that was Tim Burton's well, big I thing, think too. that's not... I think that's not what we think. I mean, not what everyone thinks of with Batman. I mean, it's like if you have to choose, you're going to go with atmosphere and and character mm -hmm. if you have to choose. You're going to go yeah. with atmosphere and character over action because the action supplements those things. But with a Batman, even though the fight scenes are obviously like there's some importance there. He's a hand-to-hand -hand mm -hmm. fighter. That's what he does. Um, there's so much that you can do to obscure that because he does fight in the shadows versus like a Spider-Man, you got to be able to shoot Spider-Man doing crazy fights where he right. you almost think he has six arms and stuff because he's in the daylight yeah yeah um anything else you wanted to say about uh dark knight rises i think it's it's such a, a weird movie i think it's so interesting the circumstances surrounding it some of them are sad but it's it's interesting that it got made and then it got made the way it did and then it turned out this way and then it made so much money you know and i say despite obviously it was going to but it's just it being as weird as it is and kind of a mess really a mess mm -hmm. that it made this much money. And, and it's, I do, th I agree with your statement. It gets overrated by some, usually people who are just like, you know, maybe contrarians are also Christopher Nolan diehards. I, yeah. I love Christopher Nolan. I also think he, I did not like tenant. So <laughs> I'm not just a diehard for everything he does or also undervalued because mm -hmm. there are great performances in this. Uh, all, all really, no one's putting on bad performances. And if you, I think if you choose to just accept the Bane choices for what they are, that is still a great performance performance and it's mm -hmm. it's entertaining it's fun it can be dumb fun at some points and i think that's a good thing yeah um with nolan i think after inception i kind of feel like nolan started to buy into his own hype a little bit yeah and and i feel like it's like a lot of the stuff that i've seen from him after that like i, I pretty much gave up with him after i saw interstellar and then i i, mm -hmm. I saw tenet because it was on hbo max and i'm just like okay yeah i think i made the right choice um yeah. 
but no, and it was and and this is definitely one of those movies where he feels like his ideas and his way of doing things can override are more are, are, are more important than the lack than the story problems in this movie and mm-hmm. the that just makes the story problems all the more blatant for me um and yeah and i don't like that it this kind of set the tone at dc for like the next 10 years too yeah uh that's another big yeah i, mean, like, I can't we can't blame christopher nolan for that that that's on dc i mean we can blame him a little bit because they went to him as and brought him on to be executive true. producer of man of steel so i think we true, can hold him. To, to his credit though he did try to fight back against like the the zod killing scene yeah. um although he eventually acquiesced so i think I mean, I think we can give him, I think we can hold him a little bit accountable for that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just, it's, Bane is, for the voice aside, I I, I think Bane is mostly pretty well done. Um, I think JGL does a good job with what he's given. I think Anne Hathaway is definitely, like you said, she's the MVP. She's so good. She's electrifying on screen. Like, no notes on her performance. She's just perfect from beginning to end. Um, that's kind some of, of the movie I would yeah some sure. of the story choices they make her character do are questionable but she yeah. sells it completely so I think that's good um, as much as I like Bale I do feel like at this point kind of like Nolan I think he's kind of tired mm-hmm. I feel like he's just kind of like he's like yeah. yeah I'm kind of the scene when him and Catwoman are on the roof and you know he looks almost like he's he looks so bored mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. like and um I mean, I do like the line when, you know, she leaves him hanging and he looks around and he's like, oh, so that's what that feels like. But it, it sounds so weird in that in that bat voice. <laughs> and, and why would he do that voice to himself? Well, also, um, I, I couldn't understand why he's using the voice around Catwoman, around Bane, when they both know who he is, too. I, thought I that think was it's out weird. of habit. And it's Maybe, also yeah. the actor. I know that he said, like, he started doing the voice when he auditioned just because he was in a suit. And he was like, I feel ridiculous in this thing. I got to do something that makes me feel like maybe put some distance between or like I'm doing a character as a character sort of thing. Part of why he started doing that. But uh, yeah, there's some really funny moments in this. Like I, it was in the trailer and it's like, Oh, but I still find this very funny when he Catwoman he takes the pearls back from her when they dance and then she ends up stealing his ticket from him, uh, his valet his ticket. car keys. Yeah, yeah. And it just the the quick cut he goes, my wife. And then <laughs> the quick cut to her. It's such it's so well timed and it is almost like a sitcom joke, but it's it's just so well. The, and then right after that, you get you get him getting you get Alfred picking him up and he says he's like, oh, it's just you, and he's like, you know, well, yeah. don't worry, It'll, it I, takes a while to get back in the swing of things. I did. Th- they kind of touched on it, but I wanted it taken further just for my own. Uh, humorous benefit but when alfred leaves bruce like bruce goes to bed he wakes up and lucius is banging on his front door or maybe it's i forget who it's lucius yeah, yeah. It's like yeah and he's like you're answering your own door now but i wanted bruce to wake up and like not know how to do anything in the house without <laughs> alfred they're like i can't make tea i can't operate the microwave my google cal is just off the charts so, like he doesn't know because what does he do every day yeah, like yeah. alfred was taking care of everything but probably would have taken away from the the seriousness of the moment yeah but, they touched on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think overall this is it it is a real disappointing end to that trilogy because and I think I in some ways I think we just would have been better off just leaving it at, at the way the Dark Knight ended and just being done with sure. it there. But you know, it's sure you gotta have a trilogy, that's the thing. So And it's not I don't think it's harming any I mean, 
I, I can't make the argument that anything about the, the other movies is harmed for me by this movie existing. It no, no. I Yeah, I'm not, story, I'm not one of those so. who thinks, like, you know, a bad yeah. movie invalidates an earlier movie. Like, it's just... Right. I mean, you know, uh, what's a good example? Uh, Terminator movies, right? You're fine ending mm-hmm. at Terminator 2 and just saying, no, the other ones don't exist. Yeah. Or Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, it, that that doesn't bother me at all. Um it is just a, it's just a disappointment of what we could have had and i think you're yeah. right you you had talked about you know if heath ledger had survived because i think nolan had said that at the time they were making the dark knight he was thinking about a third movie and he was thinking of heath ledger he would have wanted heath ledger in it but not as like the main antagonist instead he would have been like yeah. almost like a hannibal lecter type you know talking to mm-hmm. batman through arkham or something like that which would have been yeah really interesting to see and apparently in the in the novelization of this movie, they do say what happened to the Joker because now all the prisoners are in Blackgate. Arkham yeah, Asylum yeah. only has one prisoner and it's the Joker. And he's the only one mm-hmm. who's locked up in there. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. So they do say that's what happened to him. And he's just, so he's just locked up in Arkham the whole time. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not the worst Batman movie, but it's, it's definitely not a good one. <laughs> It's yeah, it, it's just a weird movie. I, I things happen in it that I never thought I'd see in a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things that are like act, well, the things that are like set pieces are well done and interesting. I just yeah, they don't necessarily belong in this movie, and they don't always feel earned. You know, the whole Gotham under siege thing is just such a weird heightening that I never was asking for in a Christopher Nolan Batman movie. If yeah. you want to keep it grounded, like them doing No Man's Land from the comics is not something I, I was waiting around for, nor was I thinking, oh, this will be stuffed into the last 30 minutes of a movie. I also but I also didn't like the, the way Gordon finds out because what I loved mm-hmm. about up until that point was when uh, Blake asks him, you know, did you ever wonder who he really was? And he says, oh, I know exactly mm-hmm. who he was. He was the Batman. My conception yeah. of, of Jim Gordon is the same as my conception of Robbie Robertson, same my conception of Perry White, is that he knows. He's just yeah. not saying it. So when he's yeah. surprised, he's like, Bruce Wayne? Like that, I didn't like that. That I thought that took away yeah. from that. That I that, my, that And that's just my personal thing. That's my personal headcanon. So. I'm with you on that, though. I, I mean, even if I don't think that he always knew, I also even think in the moment that he would be like... Yeah, of course it is. What am I thinking? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Even if you just, that sort of thing where like, I've known this, I've been inter- interacting with them the whole time, not thinking about that, but that is who that is. And also that, yeah, probably, I mean, he's supposed to be a great detective himself, so should have. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if, if you know, an orphan kid can figure it out by, look, by, <laughs> right. by looking at, at his eyes. So, right, into his uh, eyes and yeah. dispensing it. Um, yeah, I think there should have, I mean, even if he just kind of says like, you know, even if just like, a, like I knew it or something like that, or, or I was yeah. right or something like. Yeah. I do like I, I it's another thing where it's like a kind of like a fatherly or you know a, or a brotherly thing where when Batman says something about when he's kind of about to go fly off and do mm-hmm. the last the the bomb drop when he says something about like you could be this person or it could be someone that just gives you like a you know a, I don't remember the line but basically he's like a, a jacket on the it's night. kind it's of over it's, it's an overwritten line and it is but but yeah the the idea behind I it feel was it. good. Yeah, I feel it because I'm like, I, I, I appreciate that Bruce has learned at this point too. like, I got to open up because I'm, I may be about to die. I don't yeah. know if this is going to work. So I'm going to let people know that I appreciate them because I could never, I couldn't do that in the first place. And maybe I just didn't know how in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um. So I, I did enjoy that because also I just, I like seeing those guys get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, um, any, uh, any final things you want to say? No, 
that's it. That's All right. I think we squeeze this one dry. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on again. As always, you're you're always welcome to come back on. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, um, I host a podcast called Days Past Tooncast. We you can find us everywhere at DP Tooncast. Uh, we cover old Saturday morning cartoons, sometimes not Saturday morning, sometimes not so old. It's a comedy show. We go over these things. We tell you trivia about them, but more than that, we just have a great time talking about it. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Will Short. Ha ha. Okay, great. Um, and as for us, SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you sign up for our Patreon page, you can get these movie, these episodes, not the movies, the episodes a week in advance. <laughs> and, uh, and you can also get access to the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club companion podcast. All that for just as little as a dollar a month. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.